Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and turn to the book of Hebrews. I gave you a, a sheet tonight, partly just for variety's sake. I could have put blanks on it, but I'm not a big fan, so I stuck with what I know best. And I'm not a big fan because I don't always remember where the blanks are to slow down to make sure you get them, and then you'll be going, hey, what was that again? And I, so I try to avoid that. But I, I put these on there so you could get some things that maybe I don't cover if I don't get to it all. Um, you'll have more further study for your own, I suppose. Hebrews 13, we're just, I'm going to read the first six verses, although five is the key factor. Hebrews 13, I think it's page 1009 in the Red Bible if you're using a Pew Bible. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Without knowing it is literally the word. Remember those who are in prison as though, though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, and here's our, what we're focusing on tonight, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, Psalm 118.6, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. I would say almost all of us in here, if not all of us, to one degree or another, and at some point in our lives, whether when we were children um, when they had a pickup game on the blacktop at your school and you were chosen last. We, we know what rejection and re being alienated or all of that goes with that means. Or maybe it was that you're not popular at school. Maybe in high school you asked a number of people out on a date and uh, you got refused most if not all the time. Maybe you interviewed for quite a number of jobs and you got turned down. So in and, and, and all kinds of different forms when we're young, and, and even as we grow older, to be renounced, to be alienated, for some, that awful, chilling feeling when your spouse has said to you, it's over. Or maybe a friend that you had a close relationship for many years says, I really don't want to be friends anymore. For others... That struggle occurs when they find out years later after they've even left their home that they were adopted and they begin to ask themselves the questions, why did my biological parents abandon me in the first place? Why didn't they really want me? Why in the world would they give me to someone else? See, uh, it's all of us. All of us, one fashion or another, face relational crisis. And during that crisis, a plethora of why questions come to our mind? Maybe you've thought these perhaps recently. Why is this happening to me? Why am I in so much pain? Why is this lasting so long? Maybe the most popular. Why hasn't God answered my prayer? Is he gone? Has he left me? Maybe I've been forsaken. See, those are things that we think of and go through, and they stab at our faith. 
We sang the song tonight, How Firm a Foundation for a Reason. I hope you got the last verse because it's my favorite. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. And if you don't know that old word, it means for rest. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, listen to this. You ever felt this way? That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake. You ever thought that in your life? You look at your health, you look at your finances, you look at your marriage, you look at your future, and you might say, all hell is endeavoring to shake my faith. Here's what God says to that. I'll never, no, never. And if that wasn't enough, no, never forsake. Oh, you see what the writer is doing? He's taking our promise tonight. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know what he says? Never. Aren't you glad when God says never, he means it? Now, that isn't always true for us. Someone else, a friend, a spouse, oh, I would never do that. Oh, I would never do that. You can count on it. And it's not always true, is it? We don't always mean it when we say never. But can I tell you this? Take comfort. God always does. Even when all hell endeavors to shake us. So tonight, you know what we need? If you feel forsaken, if you feel forgotten, you know what you need? You need to go back and reaffirm your foundation, your firm foundation. Where is it? Well, the song says that too. If you, if you read the beginning, it says, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, what? Is laid for your faith, what? In his excellent word. Oh, good word choice, right? His excellent word. Oh, not just his word. It's excellent You know what? God's got a word. It's an excellent word for you when you feel that your life might fall out, the bottom might fall out, when everything around you think might collapse. I bet some people in Maui and Dominican Republic are thinking that right now. You know what his excellent word is? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's great. It's a great word. As a songwriter would put it, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. So tonight, my goal is to strengthen your personal foundation a little bit. And I want to give you a fuller understanding, maybe than you've had before, of what that phrase really is all about. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So on your paper, you're going to see it there. It's used primarily in the Old Testament. In fact, what you'll find out as we get a little further into this study together is Hebrews 13.5 is the only New Testament use that directly spells out that exact phrase. And even it has a slight modification for the best under the inspiration of the Spirit. Now, I want to put some things together for you. So you're going to do three, th- you're going to do three passages at once. Can you put your finger in Deuteronomy 31, 6, and 8? I'm going to try to do it too. And Joshua 1, 5, and 1 Chronicles. You can see them on your paper if you had one. There might be extra if you didn't get one. I'm going to, t- we're going to read the, all three of them. They are somewhat similar, as you can already imagine, since they contain the same phrase. But there's some variations and some things that you might not see right off the bat. We're going to try to touch on all of them. I'm going to give you a big context principle that will really help you to start off with. Deuteronomy 31.6. It is Moses's, as we would say, the book that was written along. Last lecture. This is Moses' last lecture. He has, can I say it? 
he's blown it. He's not going into the promised land. Um, by the way, he's not going into the promised land and he's going to die and he's not even ready to die. But can I tell you this? God still never left him or forsake, forsook him, you know. But he's going to tell. Now, these are words spoken to Israel, obviously Joshua included. And he says to them, before you go into the, watch, before you go into the, pro, to, into the promised land. Now, he's going to say it again to Joshua, and it's before the first battle. And I want you to see it as a pattern, because it is. You know what the best time to be grounded and have your foundations as strong as you possibly can and have your roots deep into this little promise that God's given to you? You know what it is? Not when you're in the time when all hell wants to break into your life. That's not the time. You know when it is? Before. Daniel, before he ever had to answer to the king to Nebuchadnezzar about what he was going to eat and drink. Here's what he says. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Before he ever got questioned, he says, this is where I stand. This is what I believe. See, let me tell you this. Before you have need of this promise in a great way, here's what you do. Get a grip on it tonight. Get a grip on it because Israel needed it. Joshua needed it. You're going to see in a minute Solomon needed it. And you and I need it. All right? First little admonition there. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. And, and mark it down if you're taking notes. All three of these that repeat the phrase, I will not leave you nor forsake you, also have, and I'm going to tell you why this matters. They also have the admonition coupled with it, with it in all three of them. Be strong and courageous. Often it also says, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Keep that in mind. Mark it down because it matters a lot. Let's read a little bit more. Be strong and courageous. Here it is. Do not fear, nor be in dread for them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. All right, underline it. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is for the whole nation of Israel. And by the way, this promise is not just for Moses and Joshua and Solomon, who are great leaders. God goes out of his way to make sure, hey, all of Israel needed this because they all played a part in the conquest. This is a promise for pastors. This is a promise for pew people. It doesn't, you don't have to be great. You don't have to have all this. You don't have to be the head of anything. This is a promise that every single one of us at Faith Baptist Church, everyone, every role that is played in this church, this is crucial and vital. Verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. And by the way, that's what the promise means. And it's a parallel statement. He'll be with you. Well, what does that look like? Well, he won't leave you or forsake you. And there it is again. Do not fear nor be dismayed. A few pages over, if you would, to Joshua 1 and verse 5. You can imagine the very first phrase of this. You can't even imagine. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. You have to realize he was a hard act to follow, don't you think? I mean, was there anybody who had miraculous things performed through him more than Moses in the Old Testament? I mean, he delivered his people, the Exodus. I mean, is there anybody who's bigger than life than Moses? And, and it says, well, he's dead. And that means Joshua, the assistant, now you're in charge. You want to, those are some big shoes to fill. So I bet he's wondering, is this going to be the same way it was with Moses? In fact, if you want to write them down, I wrote three of them. 1, 3, 1, 5, and 1, 17. And it says, twice by God, once by Israel, just as it was with Moses. Just as it was with... So you know what reassurance he needed? He needed to know that God hadn't changed. 
that he wasn't just the awesome God who never leaves or forsakes people. And that's what it was with Moses because look how awesome he was. Joshua says, hey, we're not going to the exodus. We're not going to the conquest. Will God still be with us like that? Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know that whatever part of the story God's writing through your life, no matter what it is, whether it's an Exodus story, whether it's a conquest story, or as Solomon has a peacetime story, don't you want to know that whatever your story is, that he's with you? Joshua did. He really did. And verse 5 says, in no uncertain terms, and by the way, out of all the ones that are used in the Old Testament, this is the only one where God says it to the person himself. Moses said it to Joshua the first time. David says it to Solomon at the end. This is the only one time where God comes and talks to someone individually. And you know, again, before Jericho, before Jericho, he's going to say to him, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That means that when they go to Jericho and Achan takes what is korban, what is dedicated to God, and he hides it in his tent, and they have to take everybody and line them up, and they end up having to stone him and his wife and his children and his animals and everything he owns and burn them with fire. It was an awful day in Israel. God did not leave them nor forsake them. When they came up on Ai and thought they could send a small amount of people up there because they could handle this pretty much without God, and they were wrecked before the enemies in Ai, he did not leave them nor forsake them. You think Joshua needed it? Yeah, Moses needed it. Joshua needed it. He needed to know whatever circumstances that he was in, that God was going to be with him. No matter where you go tonight, I want to tell you, No matter what pressure you face, no matter what situation arises in your life, know this, God is for you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. He he did not do it for Moses, he did not do it for Joshua, and he will not do it for Solomon, he didn't, and he won't do it to you. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. The last usage of it, the direct usage of it, in the Old Testament. David's last words to Solomon. Now, write this down. Moses told Joshua this. That's the Deuteronomy and Joshua passages. And it was necessary before they, because they were going to war. They were going to fight. Imagine, Joshua had three military campaigns in different areas geographically. He faced 30 different armies in the conquest of Canaan. It was all hell, right, endeavored to shake them. Imagine all the, uh, the big cities, the big giants, the big people, all the things that didn't look like they, they were not a trained army, all the obstacles, all the opposition, and God was with them the whole time. But that was, this is a different scenario. So- Solomon, who's here tonight, he was, right? Um, his name, Shloma is what it really means in Hebrew. It's the word based on Shema. He is the king of peace. Shalom. And so during his year, unlike Saul and David, they had time of peace until the very end when he was so idolatrous that God brought people in to cause war. But for the vast majority of Solomon's reign, he was 
the king of peace, did he still need it? Yes. David's last words to him, 1 Chronicles 28, 20, read, Then David said to Solomon, his son, here it is again. You see how, can I ask you, I'm going to tell you about narrative Christianity. The same words that Moses used, the same words that God told Joshua, all those years later are repeated to Solomon. So in the Exodus part of God's story, see these are hinge points. The first two times, I will not leave you nor forsake you, it was for that part of Israel's history, getting them out of the of of Egypt and conquering the promised land. Now, all these years later, we have them in the kingdom error. But the story hasn't changed. Needing God hasn't changed. So it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter today if you're young and you're just married, you're older, you're middle life, or you're retired and you're moving later on in life. It doesn't really matter because wherever you are in the story, this is how vital this promise is. And he says to them in verse 20, Be strong and courageous. Do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. This is the same context, the same words from the story long ago. Because we're still living in the same story. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. There it is again, underline it. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, did he need it? Yes. He wasn't battling. He was building. So whatever stage of your life it is, maybe you're battling, and tonight... All hell endeavors to shake you, and you know what it was? It's these external problems. It's your health, it's your finances, it's relationships. And so, God, I need you to be with me and not leave me or forsake me. And here's all these things outside of me. But Solomon never had that. He really didn't have that problem. But you know what? He had different problems. He was building the temple of God, and he needed to stay true. And you know what? His battles were internal Oh, see, we need them for those things. When everything's going great in our life, when, when we have antagonism and opposition and we're fighting and we're struggling, oh, we know we think we need, oh, yeah, I, don't leave me nor forsake me. Not now. But what about when things are going really well and you're successful? You don't have financial problems. Your marriage is great. Your kids are obedient. Everything's going, you go to the doctor and he says, you're looking good, right? Can I tell you, you still need it. Because now the battle has turned inside. And you know what? Solomon lost that battle because he made treaties and he compromised and married all kinds of women and became idolatrous. And there was more false temples to false gods than any other place in all the lands around them in Jerusalem right next to the temple of God. See, we still need it. He needed the time, in the time of peace, he still needed that promise. Can I show you one more thing before we move out of there? Verse 9 says, and underline this heavily. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. Don't be divided. And it was his problem. It was almost prophetic because he didn't have a whole heart for God. It was divided off. And with a willing mind, he started off that way, but he didn't end that way. Why? For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Notice, conditional phrase. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, 
He will cast you off forever. Can I tell you this? You're going through problems. You're going through difficulties. You're going through pain. And you're asking all the why questions. And our typical response is, why has God forsaken me when he's not coming, when he's not doing what we thought he should, when he's not answering, when it's not obvious that he's there, and perhaps we think he's silent? Can I tell you this? Biblically, the question we should be asking is not, has God forsaken me, but have I forsaken God? Because the only time in these verses where it seems like that God wasn't with them anymore is when they were disobedient, when they became idolatrous, when they became spiritually adulterous with the foreign pagan gods around them. See, it looked like because God wasn't working in them anymore. So we need to ask that question equally, in my opinion. All uses of that phrase, I, I'm going to come back, I came back to it, I said I would. All phrases, all uses of I will not leave you nor forsake you always are accompanied by this. Be strong, courageous, don't fear, don't be dismayed. All of them. Why? Here's why. Because God wants you to know that not leaving you or forsaking you does not mean that it will be easy. It does not mean that it will be comfortable. It does not mean that there won't be battles and struggles included. It will not mean that there isn't pain and loss and even at times failure. No, it means this, that when he is with you and he never forsakes you, that means you still at the same time have to be strong and courageous. There are things that are going to make you afraid. There are things going to depress you and disappoint you. Be not dismayed. There are going to be times when it does not feel like, nor does it look like, that he is with you. That's what it means for him to not leave you nor forsake you. It means that he is with you no matter if the battles are external or the battles are internal. But it won't be a walk in the park. It wasn't for Moses. It wasn't for Joshua. It wasn't for Israel. And in the end, it wasn't for Solomon. They needed the promise, but they didn't always practice the promise. And that is us. We need the promise. We need it desperately. And so we come to our text because that's all the background, and without knowing that, you won't fully understand Hebrews 13.5, but we're going to give our sh- a best shot. If you'll turn there. I read Hebrews 13.5, and it's followed by, or I should preceded by, keep yourself from the love of money and be content. Now, I didn't find anything about the love of money or contentment in any of those Old Testament verses, so my first thought reading this was, what in the world was, and I think it was Paul, why was Paul writing this, and how does that have anything to do with money and being content? (laughs) I will never leave you, forsake you. How does he get that by the use that every time the Bible uses it? Where does he get it from? Let me tell you a little bit about where he got it from. The whole thing about Hebrews is the theme that Jesus is, and the key word better. Better is used ten times. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the Old Testament system. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the priesthood. He's better all the way around because the recipients of Hebrew were people that were becoming Christians, but they were primarily Jewish. And the temptation was back, watch, because of opposition, because of difficult times, Because of the beginnings of persecution, he says in Hebrews 13, go visit those people in prison as if you were prisoners with them. And they're not just in there because they committed a felony. They're in there because they are Christians, because they have faith. 
chapter 10, it says, You rejoiced when you had your goods plundered, when they took your possessions because you were a Christian. See, that's what they're beginning to suffer. That's what they're beginning to go through. That's why he says, no matter what you're in, see, no matter what you're difficult. Remember I told you the enemies can be external. They could be internal. And the question is, will you go visit people and associate with them? And here, because watch, the whole six verses about love. You can't see it as in the English, but let me show it to you. He begins with love. In the middle, he says love. And at the end, he says love. He says, let, let brotherly love continue because, can I tell you this? The hardest thing in the end times when everything in our world is out for themselves and it's all expressive individualism and everyone around them is all about themselves, the hardest thing to do in a church will be to maintain your love for people and God. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3, you'll find that there are three types of lovers that are in the eschatological last days. That's Timothy, that's Paul's term. There are self-lovers, money lovers, and pleasure lovers. That's how the word actually is put together. Because that is the hardest thing to maintain. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. See, it's a disordered love that shows its head when things begin to get tough. The love begins to stop, not for God and for others. It stops, but for the world it continues. In our text, it says, let brotherly love continue. And then he says, let me show you areas of your life in the kingdom. Now, by the way, I'm going to step back for one second. Hebrews 11 and 12 are the story. Remember, this is about a story. Its story was Moses, and its story was about Joshua. And I'll never leave you, forsake you. It continued with Solomon. And now we have, we've come to chapter 11 is the hall of faith. And we've run down all the Old Testament people till we get to chapter 12. And Jesus is the climax of all of it because verse 1 says, now here's what I want you to look at. Look at him. See, all these people that I've listed and all these ones, how great they were, their faith points to him. He's the climax of it. In fact, the end of chapter 11 says, you can, they cannot be made whole apart from you. You're still telling the story. But you're telling it from this side of the cross. See, all three uses of I will never leave you for nor forsake you were old covenant. But now we're talking new covenant on this side of it. If you are in Jesus, he wants to tell us it is impossible for God to forsake you or leave you. Impossible. Do you understand that? Why? Because Jesus has died and rose again. And the greatest covenant was not sealed with animals' blood, but with his. In fact, chapter 12 says better blood than that of Abel. So that's where we stand. And he wants them to know, this is what you need to do to live out your faith, knowing that God will never leave you nor forsake you. You love. What does it look like? Verse 2. Do not neglect to show, underline it, hospitality. Verse 1 is a philos-based word. Philadelphia, love your brother. Hospitality, same root. Love foreigners. Then you go down, and it says a little bit later, trying to find it here, verse number, let marriage be hung, I'm not finding it. Yeah, there, thank you, verse 5, keep your life free from money love, see it there? So they're brotherly love, stranger love, but not money love. 
He wants, you to, he wants you to do that. That's how you, when you live that way, you are living out the fact that you're holding on to the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. What does it mean? You are hospitality. You take in strangers. Now you say, oh, Pastor Walker, so if I believe that God is with me and he'll never forsake me or leave me, I better have more people over to my house for dinner. Well, that would be good. I mean, that's nice, but that's not what he's after, although that's a good thing. To be hospitable to strangers, the strangers were mainly... In this context, people who went around and preached the gospel. So when they came, like the disciples were sent out, and Jesus had people help them, and missionaries, and Paul, and people. So what he wants you to do is when you're being persecuted for Christians, and they're suffering, and you're going through hard times, and it's costing you, I still want you to have the guys into your house that are going to teach and preach the world. I don't want you to stop doing that. I want you to still open your house. Will it be rough? It could be. Could you struggle and suffer more because of it? Yes. So I want you to go have people in your house, and I want you to go to the prisons. Next verse. See, because when you have people in your house, and it may cost you, and you go to the prison, and you associate with them. See, that's why 2 Timothy was written. Paul was in prison waiting for his trial, perhaps his last trial. And you know what? He says this, everyone has forsaken me. Let it not be laid to their charge. You know why they didn't go see him in prison? Because if they did, they would publicly identify with him and they'd probably be next. You know why? Because they were, not, they were fearing when he said, fear not. They were dismayed when they should have been bold. They weren't courageous. They weren't opening their house to preachers. They weren't going to the prison to see Christians and associate with them. They weren't doing anything. You know why? Love stopped when it cost them something. You know why? Because they weren't holding on to, I will never leave you nor forsake you. They weren't being strong. They weren't being courageous. They weren't believing that promise at all. So he goes on to say this, and keep yourself... The marriage bed is well. That's another way. Love in that way. You need to keep your lives pure and holy. Verse 5. Keep yourself free. And it means your lifestyle. Don't have a lifestyle of loving money. And I don't think this is a general admonition to say stop being materialistic. I don't think that's what he's... He's after this. You're going to have... It's going to cost you. They make... Chapter 10. They may take your land. They may take your house. They may take your possessions. They may do all kinds of things. They may take your freedom. You be content with whatever it is. When you do God's will, when you believe and hold on to that promise, no matter whatever happens in your life, no matter what you lose, no matter what you go through, you don't let money dictate it. I'd go so far as to say, don't be money lovers, but be God lovers, to be people lovers, even if you don't have much at all to share. Based on that, he gives us our promise You know why you can do all of that? You know why you can open your house and you don't have a lot of money because you're losing it all? You know why you can go to prison and risk your freedom and perhaps your life? You know how you can do it? Because your life has a firm foundation. Your life is built on it. And though all hell endeavors to shake you by the prison and hospitality and the loss of your things, and you don't know how you're going to make it anymore yourself, you know how you make it through that? Oh, you said, Pastor Walker, if God's with me, well, how do I know? Look at all the bad things. Well, see, all hell endeavors to shake you. It's not when the good things are going on. It's the bad things that we need this problem, perhaps the most, although Solomon proves both are important. But he adds one more thing, and can I do that? 
the Lord, so we can confidently say, and it means courageously, we can courageously say this, Psalm 118.6. Read the context for yourself. It's in a time of distress. Three times in Psalm 118, I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded like bees. His enemy was there, and he didn't know how he was going to get out of it. And here's what he says. Here's what I say in the midst of that problem. Here's what I say in the midst of the exodus. Here's what I say in the midst of the conquest. See, when my foes are all around me, I'm surrounded. Here's what I can boldly say, not meagerly, boldly. He says this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is my helper. Now see, the Lord is with me and never forsakes me, but that could mean oh, my, my general omniscient presence is with you. And you might say, well, that's great to know, but are you going to do anything? <laughs> are you going to do anything? He said, oh yeah, I am. I'm not just a distant deity. I'm your helper. I get up close. I get involved in your mess. And I care about your pain. I care about your difficulty. You don't have to fear anything. See, that's the confidence that we can have. And no matter what you're facing tonight, no matter what form it's taking, that can be your lot tonight. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 9, and he had four couplets, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And he says this, I'm not this, but I'm this. I'm not this, but I'm this. And one of those were this, not I am persecuted, but not forsaken. Do you see how it goes together? I am with you. I won't leave you. I won't leave you in the lurch. I won't desert you. I won't abandon you. But it does not mean that there is not problems. It doesn't mean that there won't be trouble. And for Paul, it was persecution. If you know anything about Johnny Erickson Tata, you know that when she was 16, she dove off a dock. She broke her neck in shallow water and was paralyzed and has been for probably about almost 60 years. She's been in a wheelchair. And she said this when she first had the accident as a Christian. She said, I believed when I saw that I would be in a wheelchair and never walk the rest of my life, I thought God had, and I quote, abandoned me and forsaken me. She goes, but then over time, I came to learn this and listen to what she says. God will lead you through awful things, not so much so that you can be healed, but so that you can know the healer. Oh, see what she said? She says, not so much that all the bad things will go away, but so that you know him who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And whether that means you're walking or you're in a wheelchair, she recognized. Oh, that she could know the healer. And she said, oh, what a joy it has been to learn to know the healer. Tim Keller said this, Jesus was forsaken, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never have to be. Can I tell you tonight as I close? Jesus, like all of us, asked why questions. Psalm 22 really could be a sermon, the day that Jesus asked why. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Can I tell you this? I read this today, and it will make you cry when you think about it. 
You know what it costs Jesus tonight for me to stand up here and tell you that he says to you tonight, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Do you know what it cost him? All hell literally endeavored to shake him. Literally. But God said to his son, I'll never ultimately forsake you. Never. Jesus took the forsakenness of our sin so that we would never have to be. It cost him everything to tell you this truth tonight. Everything. That's how important it is in his estimation for you to hold on to it. See, he gave his life for it. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus was perfectly obedient and he was still forsaken. You and I are not. We sin and we disobey and we deserve to be forsaken even as we are Christians. We deserve it. But can I tell you this? He did the will of God in the hardest parts you could possibly imagine. And he obeyed all the way to a cross death and he still was forsaken. That's what it cost him for you and me. So that tonight you could say, oh, I can hold on to that promise. I can live that promise. I can breathe that promise. See, will it be that way for you? The best time to get a best hold on this is before. Before all hell endeavors to shake you. And if it is tonight, get a hold of it. Because it's a reality that can change everything. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Ah, Father. Perhaps there are some here tonight, those who are watching, who needed to hear that promise tonight. In fact, no matter what our situation is, truthfully, we all do. Jesus, I want to say thank you. I know what it costs, at least partially. I know partially what it costs for me not to be forsaken. I know what it costs you to speak those words to us. And I'm so thankful that in Hebrews, the very next verse says, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter if you said it to Moses and Joshua and Solomon, and that was way back in the day. You are the same today, and you will be with us. When Joseph was sold into Egypt and thrown into Potiphar's house, and even when he was lied about and thrown in prison, the Bible goes very carefully, says, but the Lord was with him. Oh, Lord, help us to have eyes to see that when you say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, it doesn't mean there won't be Potiphar's and there won't be tragedy and difficulty. What it means is that all the way through each and every part of it, that you will be there. You won't abandon us. You won't leave us alone because you are a God. And to that we say, blessed be your name for Christ's sake. Amen.